0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cloudy day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Chaloner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Rachel Gibb. Rachel is the head teacher of the Priory Church of England School, a secondary school based in Surrey. Rachel, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us today
1: it's my pleasure thank you for having
0: me it's a real pleasure having you join us as well rachel now the purpose of this discussion is to establish first and foremost your take on leadership so if we dive straight in by looking at that word leader aside for a moment i'm interested to understand what that word actually means to you what should a leader be in your eyes
1: Well, I think um, even more consciously under the current circumstances, I think leaders have to be visible and have to be present. So um, there are lots of occasions in schools where parents come to you seeking advice and guidance about their children. Um, There's a huge operational job to be done as a head teacher of a school, but there's also um, that goal setting and looking forward to the horizon Um, I think leadership is complex I think it changes according to situations and who you're dealing with and I think it's something that I've learned that I need to revisit um, repeatedly because I question and I evaluate my performance as a leader so I suppose in a nutshell it's about adapting to situations and not being afraid to um, stick to the, to, to, well, I suppose, to have the courage of your convictions mm. um, once those are very carefully considered.
0: It's interesting that you describe it as a constant process of almost self-evaluation leadership. You're never the finished article. There's always more that you can learn, of course. And when we think about the here and now, and we think about COVID-19, as well as being an incredibly difficult and a very sensitive time for everyone, it has been one of the greatest learning curves, I think it's fair to say, of our time as well for various reasons. Is there anything that, as a leader within the education sector, that you have learned from this experience in the past few months of adapting to a new reality?
1: I think I've I've learned an enormous lot. Uh, I've learned an enormous amount from the whole process. I've learned that um, I've learned about trusting people. I've also learned that people do seek my counsel, and that's been incredibly reassuring um, because sometimes as a leader, leadership can be very isolating. And particularly when a situation like this arises, it's totally unprecedented. And I think then um, when you're in that situation, uh, people look to a leader for answers and as a leader you don't have them you know um, we're, we're, the news is changing on a daily basis information for schools is coming out incredibly regularly we're overwhelmed in some respects with information and the situation changes quite rapidly and then people immediately turn to you for the answers and that's a real challenge mm. so i think there's um, there's a personal reflection on this one of the things I've learned about myself as a leader is that I do like to have time to reflect. Sometimes when announcements are made, and in the education sector, like everybody else, we learn about what's happening in our schools at the same time as the rest of the general population. We hear about it on the news, and we hear about it through the government briefings. You know, We don't get any earlier heads up than that. Um, and I've learned that I like a t- a processing time. Uh, I've noticed that some of my colleagues, and I have huge respect for them, almost want to race, if you like, to be the first person, the first head teacher locally to come up with their solution for the latest guidance. And I don't work like that. And I know that for some people that might be slightly frustrating those around me. So what I have to do is I have to tell people I'm looking at the guidance, I'm reading it, I'm processing it, I'm meeting with my team, and there will be, my response will be forthcoming. But I don't like to jump in with both feet too quickly. Because there are so many safety aspects involved in this that I feel I have to be very careful and very considered. Um, and I also have found that I have had to seek my own. I suppose seek my own counsel um, for myself. You know, working with my colleagues as head teachers has been has never been more important. We've been able to acknowledge and recognise that we're going to do things in different ways because we are doing things based on the local setup of our own schools. But we've probably met more frequently than we would have under normal circumstances because I think that reassurance from colleagues, that camaraderie, that support. And that kind of um ability to um, admit that you don't really know what to do next, but you're working on it, I think mm-hmm. has been invaluable.
0: It has been a challenge, hasn't it, when people are looking to you as a leader to provide answers when there is so much um, uncertainty. That is uh, for sure. And quite often, it can be a little bit of a lonely place in a leadership role because the natural reaction is to look to those above you, whether that's in a business, looking to your management or looking to your executives, or whether it's a school, of course, looking to your heads and, um, of course, senior leadership members. Um, But for yourself, sort of at the top of the tree, I mean, it can be difficult to sort of find inspiration from other places, can't it? So where do you sort of look to? for reassurance and inspiration at a time like this.
1: Well, I'm in quite a unique situation because my husband is also a head teacher. Um, He's a head teacher of a primary school. And so his circumstances are similar, but there are differences there. And um, I'm afraid our nightly dinner conversation is very much focused on work at the moment, which is something that under normal circumstances, we would try to avoid. But having that, having each other as a sounding board has been absolutely invaluable. I think the other thing is that I tend to run quite open leadership team meetings. I tend to Um, involve, I'm very inclusive in the way that I um, work with my leadership team and so we have open discussions and I've really valued that so that has really worked up from my perspective to my advantage, um, you know my colleagues are allowed to disagree with me, and they 're very good at coming forward with ideas and us to sort of discuss those and When, when we first started at looking at opening on the 15th of July uh, sorry 15th of June to year 10 and year 12 students, we probably came up with three or four iterations of how that was going to work and now that it 's been announced that schools will be open to all students in September, I think that that will be a very similar situation we'. Come up with two or three different versions of that before we get to one that we know is workable. I think the other thing I've done is uh, I've reached out to my colleagues um, and that again that dialogue has been important so although that might have happened on Zoom or it's happened on um, other vehicles such as Google Docs which is great for allowing people just to dump questions into a, a live document and for you to work through those that's been very important and um, the one thing I would say and this is something I very rarely speak about because it's very personal to me I am the head of a Church of England school and um, and there is that's, that's been a very important aspect of my work as a leader. have been supported by my diocese and by other Church of England heads, and I've been supported by people in my church community and through my faith. And sometimes leaders don't want to admit that, perhaps, but um, that has certainly been um, something that I've turned to more over this period.
0: And of course, mental health and well-being has been incredibly important during this time. And you've addressed that by keeping the communication channels open with everybody, keeping them informed, making sure that social isolation doesn't become a problem. Um, So how important um, is it in general in leadership, mental health, both in terms of looking after your own and that of your colleagues, let alone at a time like this, but also in your case, it comes into the the frame for the pupils as well, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. I think mental health is really... Sprung forward as a key topic for all of us, and it's really challenging to monitor that. And I think communication is absolutely key. With um, with our students, it's taken a variety of forms. Um, Technology is a remarkable thing, so we've been able to track very clearly those students that have and haven't engaged with the remote learning that we've put out there. And when they haven't, we've done more phone calls. Um, We've I think everybody has suffered from uh, far too much email traffic over the last three months and I think like a lot of my colleagues um, probably people generally there are just days where you just don't want to open your laptop because you know your inbox is going to be absolutely jam-packed full that's been a real challenge but again uh, weekly well more than weekly meetings have been key so initially I held daily meetings with my leadership team and that has been about our own well-being as as well as running the school Um, we've managed to reduce that down to three times a week um, but again with that wellbeing aspect in mind um, we've been supported through our local um, council with um, wellbeing activities and things to engage with and our staff have been incredibly creative in doing those things so I know there's been lots of zoom social meetings going on in the background and uh you know i applaud all of those things because when you're in lockdown and your time in school is very limited or you're at home all of the time you have to really make a conscious effort to maintain good positive mental health and when we've noticed that dipping in colleagues and in students we've made every effort possible to reach out and make sure that we've addressed that
0: and that's, of course, incredibly positive. And when we think about, of course, the, uh, the way forward um, and the fact that schools um, are going to be returning in earnest from September time now, um, uh-huh. are you satisfied that the sort of guidance for that to continue is clear, considering the debate that there has already been about just sort of how transparent government guidelines have been thus far?
1: I think it's very easy to always be dissatisfied with government guidelines because you know there's an obvious, you know, there's a natural, um, I, there's a tendency to want to kick back. I think, and there's no point in doing that. There's no point in me t- saying that the guidance is clear or the guidance is unclear. I think my what I've learned again is my role as a leader is that, that it's my job to read through it very very carefully, filter it, look at our local arrangements look at what is going to work for us and for our school community and the wider community, communicate all of that very, very clearly, be open to um, people objecting or being concerned and raising concerns and possibly being quite vocal about that. That's all you. That's that's your job as a leader, isn't it? You know, you have to work mm. within the constraints that you're given. You have to interpret that very, very carefully, and then you have to be prepared, particularly when you're a school leader, to set your stall out, but be prepared to take um, feedback. Some of it, uh, some of which is not always helpful or polite, but to take that and to work forward with that. And again, I think I think that has to. Um, demonstrate from school leaders the strength of character and the courage that's required to navigate through this time, particularly now. You know, we've always needed to be courageous people as school leaders, but we really do need to be courageous at the moment.
0: And exactly, we'll need a lot of courage uh, going forward uh, from here as the uh, the education sector returns to full flow. Um, And over the next 12 to 18 months, as the industry embraces the challenges of the new normal. What do you envision happening, um, both in the industry and also for yourself? Because I understand that you're um, embarking on a new role as well.
1: Yes, I am. I think, well, to answer the first part of your question, one of the things that has really um, heartened me over the last few months is that it's given, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. And for many of our families and for many of our students, this has given them the opportunity to reevaluate what schools mean to them. Because it's quite easy to be negative about school, particularly when you're a teenager and you're getting towards big public exams. You know, it's a challenging and trying time. But when we had our year 10s and 12s back in on the 15th of June, they were genuinely delighted to be back in school. And that was wonderful. That was a real privilege to be part of. And likewise, my colleagues and myself, we were absolutely thrilled to have them back in school. You know, schools without students are very, very empty places. Um, And so I'd like to see that um, parental engagement will have increased because parents have been more invested in their children's education by and large. And it's really opened their eyes as to what their children are expected to do and what teachers are engaging with as well. So I'd like there to be those positive outcomes. The other thing that I've seen is that parents have been, have had a bit more time to spend with their children. So one of the schemes I've run at school is to run head teacher's commendations, which, you know, the good old certificate for doing really well. And I've asked parents, to nominate their children for those and I've had brilliant photographs of you know the first ever shepherd's pie made it for the family so those things that we really want to do with our children some of our families have had the time and the ability to do those things that sometimes get neglected and I'd like to see those continued because school and education is wider than just what happens within the four walls of a building. Um, the big challenge for me I mean changing school is, is a, a great challenge anyway the big challenge is moving down to the of City which is a long way from Surrey and because they have been Covid free up until this point and so there's a huge amount of trepidation and anxiety as the islands are about to open for tourism. Tourism is a huge part of their livelihood and they need it for financial reasons but also in in the current circumstances they are very conscious that on a daily basis several hundred people will arrive on the island and potentially bringing the risk of infection with them. And so more than anywhere, I think um, school, the school being at the heart of the community, being there as a a steadying influence, um, is really critical in that sort of community. So um, it's a big task, and I don't underestimate the challenges of it, but I feel very, very privileged to be going to a place where my role will be not just to lead the school but to play um, a wider part in the community as well.
0: Certainly um, exciting times from that point of view Rachel and uh, you know given how um, insightful it's been having you on the program to discuss your experience of the pandemic and some of these issues are with us I actually think it would be great to catch up in a few months uh, time once we're further down the line we understand more of what the new normal looks like and we can see how things are maybe getting on in that new role.
1: I'd be delighted to do that actually. It's going to be a, an incredibly interesting learning curve for me. Um, but I totally agree with you. I think how the islands face up to COVID-19 and the different, um, perspective they have on the pandemic is going to be absolutely fascinating
0: certainly is, Rachel. And it's been a real pleasure having you join us uh, today, for sure. I've really enjoyed it, both from a host's perspective and I'm sure the listeners, of course, feel exactly the same way tuning into this. Um, until we do speak again um, in future, Rachel, which I'm sure we will, do take care by all means and stay safe with all still going on, because we're certainly not out of the woods with the COVID-19 pandemic as of yet. And there is still ch- time for things to change, both for the good and the bad.
1: Thank you very much indeed, Scott. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you and I hope everyone keeps safe and well.
0: Likewise, and for those tuning into this, do remain sensible even though restrictions are lifting. Stay home where you can and look after yourselves because it really does make a difference in saving lives and keeping those infection rates down. I was speaking there to Rachel Gibb, head teacher of the Priory Church of England School in Surrey, who will be moving on later this year. Coming up next on today's programme, however, I'll be handing over to Matthew O'Neill for his exclusive interview with former Education Secretary Lord Blunkett. Lord Blunkett is today an active member of the House. House of Lords, Chairman of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and of course a notable former Labour MP and Secretary of State. In fact, he is one of the most prominent politicians of his generation, holding a number of senior positions in Tony Blair's cabinet during his career, and having served as the MP for his Sheffield, Brightside and Hillsborough constituency for 28 years, and he did all of that despite being blind from birth. He was elevated to the House of Lords five years ago in August 2015, when he was anointed Baron Blunkett of his old constituency, Brightside and Hillsborough. And I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Matthew relished the opportunity to speak with him. All of that is coming up next.
2: Lord Blunkett, welcome.
3: Thank you very much. It's very good to be with you.
2: Um, Well, of course, uh, nothing is being said uh, at the moment other than COVID-19, which uh, we must touch on.
3: chains and how we would cope. And without, uh, obviously, we've got enough fear and anxiety to last a lifetime without creating even more anxiety. We can think about those things for the future in a more rational way, I think.
2: Now, aside from the physical uh, threat of the virus, one of the things that people are vastly worried about is the effect on uh, the economy, not just national economy, but also the world economy. Um, Now, it it has been said by certain parties, um, and uh, I'd like to garner your uh, thoughts on this. Is there a danger of the effects of the lockdown being even worse than those of the virus?
3: Were it to be prolonged, I fear that that balance would tip the other way. It is about proportionality. It is about balance. It's the wisdom of Solomon, really, to to get the moment right when you start to move and then to move quickly. There's no doubt whatsoever that we are stocking up, not just on the economic and employment front, which will be devastating enough, but on the health and social well-being front, enormous challenges. And they will need careful handling because there's a lot of people whose lives for a variety of reasons are at risk in the future on a scale that we've been dealing with over the the immediate handling of the pandemic. Concentrating really hard on those affected by COVID-19 those sadly who have died or been seriously incapacitated. That will roll over into the economic, the social, the mental health and cultural well-being of the nation. And that will need all of us to pull together as well.
2: Absolutely. Now, do you believe the government's doing enough for business?
3: I think that the speed of reaction once the scale of the pandemic was clear was very good. I've praised Ricky Sudat for his action. Uh, remember a chancellor who had only just come into office structural investment requirements that the government were laying out before and in the March budget. And those will have their consequences as well as a planned payback over many years. I think we've learned something over the last few months. We, We needed to take immediate action. We don't want another round of austerity equivalent from 2010 through to 2019. I don't think the nation